A friend of mine told me he did so much cocaine that when he woke up in the hospital, the doctor said he did enough cocaine to kill a horse. And I was like, who figured out <laughs> how much cocaine it takes to kill one horse? Because that is the science I'm interested in. I'd be like, give it up, Galloping Pete. We're in for a hell of a ride later. Okay, scientists, let's get our cocaine horses over on the left and our placebo horses over on the right. You don't want to mix those two up and make sure all the cocaine horses die. Last thing this country needs is a bunch of horses addicted to cocaine, fathering children and stealing hay to pay for their horse cocaine. That was Joe Mackey, comedian from uh, New York City by way of State College, Pennsylvania. Hi, everybody. Tony Mazur here, and what you just heard there is my guest today. It is Joe Mackey here on the Check Your Brain podcast, available whether it's on Patreon and you're listening to this. Subscribe for as little as $5 a month, or you're getting it for free wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, iHeart, uh, Amazon, Alexa, wherever you get your podcast, just say whatever the smart device, uh, pull up the Check Your Brain podcast. And uh, yeah, Joe Mackey is my guest today. He happened to be in my neck of the woods, so had an opportunity to talk to him over Zoom and got a chance to meet him on uh, the Friday. By the time you heard this, he's already been gone through town, but he's got a lot of other tour dates coming up in the coming uh, weeks and months. So if you go to his website, which is joemackey.com, M-A-C-H-I.com, and check out his calendar. Wherever he is going to be, you can go check him out. But, uh, yeah, no, it was a pleasure talking to him about uh, just comedy in general and just his material and uh, coming up through the New York comedy scene and the difference between, like, true quote-unquote comedians and somebody who is a YouTube or TikTok star who decides, oh, you're funny, you can do stand-up. So we talked a little bit about that. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It's uh, it's not your normal Joe Mackey. Like, he's he's very cheeky, he's very funny when it comes to his material, but we actually had a pretty good conversation. So here's my podcast, here's my interview with the great comedian Joe Mackey. Heard the Bob Dylan song, Mr. Tambourine Man, on the radio where Bob Dylan says, hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, play a song for me. But you never hear the Tambourine Man's response. That's probably because he was like, Bob, I can't play a song on this. It's a tambourine, Bob, this is embarrassing. People think you're a genius. The only reason we even have this is to keep the lead singer's girlfriend busy during practice. She thinks she's helping. <laughs> the Check Your Brain podcast. My name is Tony Mazer, and I'm pleased to bring a fixture of the New York comedy scene, a guy that I think I've, if you visited New York City, gone to the Comedy Cellar, gone to any of the clubs there, you know this guy. You know his face. You know his voice. You know his demeanor, his material, and I, I think it's just hilarious. You've seen him on Last Comic Standing, on Gutfeld's show, and a lot of other places. That's Joe Mackey. Joe, good to have you on here. Oh, appreciate you having me. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, good to have you. First of all, you're going to be in our uh, neck of the woods and being at uh, a comedy club. And how's it feel? I mean, I, I heard you on Michael Malice's podcast. I think it's going on maybe a year and a half now. And you were on his podcast and you were talking about how 
the reps during COVID that you you guys just weren't able to do anything. You you guys had to do Zoom shows or you had to do those strange uh, uh, outdoor shows that like the Colin Quinn type of shows where you're outside at a drive-in theater and the honking was like an applause or it's heckling. I'm not sure what it was going on, but now that things are kind of back in place and you're going on the road, how's how's it been? How's the readjustment period from the pandemic to where we are now, where we do finally have this sense of normalcy? You know, uh, now it kind of feels normal for a while, you know, with that reduced capacity and the spread out crowds and the, the masks, it, it felt, it felt like we were even on a good night. It was, uh, what used to be a six or a seven, 10, mm-hmm. uh, but now it feels like we're back to normal for the most part. Uh, there's still people who come up to me and say, this is the first time we've been out since the pandemic. Uh, but there's less and less of that. People are, I, I think we're at the point now where we're just, we just want to get back to our regular life. Uh, so I think that that's a good thing. People are, people aren't afraid anymore. Uh, they're ready to laugh. Yeah, especially since you were the, weren't you the frightened correspondent? You should be afraid out of anybody <laughs> from Red Eye when you were on well, there back in yeah, the day. Yeah, I mean... Like I, like I tell people, I'm very nervous the, the first few times I do something, but it's just like talking to girls. The more you get rejected, the less, the less it hurts. So, you know, then you're not so afraid to ask some lady to dance, you know? That's how it is with stand-up or COVID or anything else. Uh, I mean, now it seems kind of silly that people were sitting inside their cars, you know, turning their lights on to laugh. I mean... Nobody was getting it outside. Why were we doing that? Doesn't make any sense. But uh, at least we're past that. At least, uh, at least uh, we're not uh, wearing masks driving alone. You're you're somebody who is, but you you love doing comedy, even though you know there's still that feeling of. Uh, well, actually, before I get to that, I wanted to ask you that because you mentioned about getting nervous. Uh, do you still have that butterfly feeling before you go on stage? Does it still feel like when you're about to go on stage and they say, and you know him from this, this, and this, and give it up, everybody, for Joe Mackey, and like the, the preparation or when you hear your feature act is just about to wrap up and he's about to do his closing bit. Do you still have that butterfly feeling? Because I've talked to some comics that say you kind of have to have that butterfly feeling because it it it's – it drives you. It's what you got to be nervous. You got to be ready. And others just say, no, that went away. Like in year five of doing comedy, I don't feel nervous anymore. How do you feel about that? It never goes away completely. Uh, because I've seen famous people fail. Uh, anyone can bomb at any time. Uh, but, uh, you learn to deal with it and it's not usually as bad, but the pandemic kind of brought it back because suddenly I wasn't on stage for a few months and uh, I, suddenly I didn't have a ton of material I was sure about. I had to think uh, on stage instead of just it, things that came naturally didn't come naturally anymore. It was like I was back to square one in a way, but yeah, you never quite lose it. Especially, I mean, especially some of those Friday late shows when you hear your host and feature uh, get no laughs. And there's a drunk heckler, and you're like, oh, this is this is going to be bad. Yeah, you can get nervous in a hurry. Oh, man. I, I've been doing comedy for about a little over eight years, and it's one of those cases where I still get that, where it's not a nervousness as in I'm going to fail. It's more so 
I don't know how this night's going to go. I don't know if there's going to be a heckler. I don't know if somebody's going to come on stage and slap me because I insulted his wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that, that kind of stuff where you don't know at that point. So it's just more so it's like a it's a nervousness, but it's an excited nervousness. It's not so much where it's like that first day of school where you're like, OK, I get to go to school, but I, I don't, I'd rather be home right mm-hmm. now. Like this is a nervousness where you're getting paid. You're uh, you're a headliner. People talk to you. They're you're, they're they're your fans in the audience and everything. But there's still that feeling. And again, I talk to a lot of comics that just say that, like, I don't really get nervous anymore. It's like that was a thing I had when I was younger. And then now I'm headlining. I don't get nervous. But then others where you do have that with professional athletes before a big game, they'll still get those butterflies before they go on, on the field, on the ice, where, wherever it is, on the court. And they're still like, ooh, I, you know, I just, I just got to make sure I'm nervous that because maybe they're a perfectionist. Maybe they have to get to that next level, and this is the only way they are able to do it. Yeah, I think it turns into good adrenaline, just like, uh, uh, just like an athlete. Uh, it's a good thing that you're doing. You're, you're someone's weekend entertainment maybe for the whole month that's the only time they're going out so uh if you're not feeling some adrenaline you're if your heart's not pumping you check to see if you're alive because it should be or you're just so checked out and not uh, maybe 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 you don't have any new stuff that you're worried about or that you want to try or it should be fun it should be exciting uh if if it isn't i i do know comics who've gotten to that point but Usually it's a bad thing. You're a little jaded. You're not trying on new things. You you don't think your career is going anywhere. It's it's that kind of thing. It's almost it's almost bitterness. Mm. Now, when you came back, because I've talked to I, I I did a podcast with Don Jameson a little over, uh, a little less than a year ago. And Don going mm-hmm. on the road where he's a guy that he's going into metal clubs, too. And there wasn't the restrictions or vax mandates and anything like that. And I asked him, like, did any of your material, any new material that you wrote in the time where you couldn't go on stage, did it change at all? And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I got angrier. I got uh, – it's a little bit – not really, like, too angry, like, vitriol, but, like – it's a little more of an edge. And were you one of those where you were sitting at home in 2020 and early 2021, just going like, and cause you're, you're somebody that you're, you're a guy that you have a lot of observational stuff and you appeal to a, a wide range of audience, but you also have a nice built-in fan base. Did you, when you got back on stage, did it alter your material at all? Or were you just like, nope, people know me as Joe Mackey and I'm going to give them Joe Mackey tonight. I, I think I was, I always had a bit of an edge. <laughs> A lot of my jokes come come from a, a point of frustration, like like a lot of comedians. A lot of comedians I really like, like Bill Burr or or, or Carlin. Or, uh, but uh, for me, it was uh, the the trouble was how much to talk about COVID, and yeah. how much do they not want to hear about COVID? Uh, that was that was the thing I was worried about. It's like, did they come to not hear about this? Because uh, you felt a little silly going up there telling jokes in june of 2020 that we're working at the start of march of 2020 because mm. so much changed and been upended, uh, upended that like i think stand-up is is best when it's it's true to the individual and i like many other people were very frustrated so uh you, you can't avoid that i don't think it was uh but then also when things kind of calmed down cuz that's that's the one thing and i've i've talked about this on stage and 
where political stuff is just really splitting audiences right now. And that's what's interesting about political late night shows and everything, how they've just completely decided to go political because you're immediately splitting your audience in half your potential audience that can come out. And I, one of my favorite nights of doing stand-up was the f- night Trump got inaugurated in 2017, and I was doing a show with Dave Landau at the Funny Stop, actually. And it was funny oh. be- because I was up on stage, and I'm, I'm hosting, and I said, I just want to let you know, whether you're pro or con, whatever happened today, we're not getting any political stuff, no political humor or jokes or anything like that, whatever's going on. And then I did a dot, dot, dot. But I will talk about this. And it was like some of the more grotesque, taboo, sexual things you can get into. And it's weird how you can put your beliefs on whether it's COVID or politics or anything on the table. And immediately you you hear, you really hear the tensing up of the crowd. But then just like with the Gilbert Gottfried aristocrats joke, where he can say one thing and bring him on back with some of the most heinous despicable things ever that it's going to bring a crowd back so it's 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 a really interesting fine line that a comic is drawing nowadays it's like halloween you can't wear some sombrero but you can go as max murderer and i would argue the latter is worse but i don't think it's that you can't do political humor and it doesn't have to divide the crowd because i can laugh at a political joke that i don't agree with if the if the main the main goal of the joke was to be funny, the the problem is that uh, for a lot of comedians now more and more the the main point of the goal isn't to be funny, it's to make their point ahead of the punchline, and and that's not the narrative comedy that's lazy, and and that 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 goes to a lot of late night talk shows too. It's like this joke could have been funny if you if the point wasn't just Trump sucks or or biden's dumb you know there it's just you you have to put a little more time into it a little more thought uh but you certainly can because uh i I have a more uh uh populist point of view but those jokes were to minneapolis because uh the joke comes first and i my goal isn't to make one side laugh and the other side hates me it says comedy club on the door my goal is to make the audience laugh whoever comes through that door and if the, the point of the joke is to be funny first, ahead of anything else, then, then then comics can accomplish that. For instance, I've laughed at a number of Chris Rock jokes that I, I didn't agree with, with with the point of. It just it, it's got nothing to do with that if the joke's funny. No, it, 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 a little it, bit depends on the audience. The audience has to laugh themselves. And yeah. that's, a, that's a problem we face too. It's the same in music too, where I the points of view of a band like Rage Against the Machine, I completely disagree with their you know, how radical they are and everything, but doesn't mean I'm not going to go to the gym mm-hmm. and on the treadmill and listen to them. It's, yes, they're bludgeoning you at the points, but that's the problem with comedy in a lot of ways is that it's it's how it's presented. And that's what's what I think people really enjoy about you, Joe, and why I, I've been a big fan for a while, is that your delivery is you can say some of the darkest things. I've heard you, I've heard bits about that you've done on stage that are so dark but you have a smile on your face and how you deliver it, it's it's charming. That's what's great about it because you can have a Bill Hicks who just rants and raves and screams and everything and just wants you to know what how he's feeling, even if he's being very funny about it. Uh, you're al- almost the opposite where you can say some of the darkest things, but it's like, oh, but it's Joe Mackey. He's not, he can't harm a fly. Kind of, and that, and that's what I love about your persona, how you were able to kind of hone that on stage. Was that something that you've always carried with you or was that something that 
you would come up with material and you've just kind of honed this personality as time has gone on and, and your career has gone on? I think it's it's an exaggeration of how I am normally. Like people will know me, I should say that. that that's pretty true to how he acts all the time. <laughs> but I do remember one time I was talking to one of the people I thought was the nicest people <laughs> that I knew in high school. And she's like, uh, we, could you just shut up for a few minutes? And I remember how devastating it was to hear that from uh, someone I thought was nice. So to me, it surprises me because to me, the opposite is true. It's like if if Anthony Jessamick goes out with a leather jacket and he looks like his dad owns the ski resort that's going to tear down your neighborhood or the golf club, you know, uh, it has less power because you expect it. Uh, to me, it has more power that you, you wouldn't expect it. But what what do I know? It's up to the audience. That's a, it's I a good people, point. <laughs> people are fooled by packaging. <laughs> what, what like with your delivery? You got a lot of people, and you're in the ingratiate in the New York scene. What was it like? Because you're from you're originally from Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. And like state we, college, state. state college. So uh, you were you were there during the <laughs> you were there during the uh, the the Sandusky uh, Joe Paterno years. Then apparently. <laughs> I, I was actually, I, I uh, grew up, uh, I, you know, uh, I grew up there. I had already left for New York to do comedy when the uh, whole uh, uh, thing happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when it, it was exposed to everybody. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's, that's uh, yeah, that was uh, devastating. It's, 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 it's sad that that's what your hometown is known for, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just remember it, it taught me a lot about people's perception because uh, someone that I knew as an acquaintance came up to me and said, "Oh, the worst part is that everyone in the town knew," and I'm like, "No, nobody, nobody knew. It was shocking. Everybody thought that guy was a great guy. Uh, uh, he did all these this charity work and stuff, and it's uh, people's perception is what reality is." is it seems to be easily swayed or or just conjured out of thin air. Mm. Uh, it was quite awesome. Yeah, everybody knew, including Joe Mackey. You had to have known. <laughs> no, not everybody in town knew. But when you got to New no. York, what, what year was that you came to New York? I got there uh, July of 06. Okay, so, you, wow, you've been, you've been there... 16 years in the in New York and some of those clubs of course Caroline's and you had the, the but this is the pre Louis CK comedy cellar where it kind of became like a uh, just a national monument for a lot of people and I think there was that club uh, what was it called comics was around and danger fields and some of those clubs were around what um what was it like were you overwhelmed at all when you came to the city and were you uh, somebody that uh, you know, had you been working for a number of years on on your act that you felt, okay, I'm ready to go to New York, this is time, or hey, th- it's now or never? Well, before I moved, I took a, uh, I did a few open mics. Uh, I took a comedy class that I commuted to from New York. Uh, and then I moved there permanently. Uh, it was it was much different because even back then, the, the comics would say, oh, there's a hundred times more comics now than 10 years ago and to me now there's 100 times more comics than there were when i started and uh the difference now i think is that comedy is uh, a lifestyle that is is cool where it used to be the island of misfit toys (laughs) and that's that's why i think comedy is 
in a bit of a dire strait because uh, people who are doing it that are cool, uh, they want to keep being cool, and that involves you, you keep being liked. Uh, so you do things to be liked. So that's why the joke uh, doesn't come first. I think it's fun to be the villain. I like I like Andy Kaufman. Uh, I, but but now it's a, it seems like they want a, a positive write-up in Vulture more than they wanted to make the audience laugh. Uh, so I think that's interesting. The other thing that's interesting is it seems like there used to be a real divide in the club comics versus the alt scene. And now you can make it without the gatekeepers. So that, that line is really blurred. Uh, the, the, sometimes the bar shows are just as important as the club shows and the, the alt comics work at clubs. So that's a, that division is kind of that way. Yeah, that was, a, that was interesting in the, when, which you mentioned about how it, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen now and that uh, comedy really exploded and where it was like the funny guy at the office ended up being a, com- a comedian. Now, how long he did it, that's the one thing mm-hmm. is that it comes in waves. And then, of course, you add in the YouTube and the TikTok element of like, oh, you're funny on TikTok. Mm-hmm. You should do stand up. But I think ultimately, with even with a lot of comics, the cream still continues to rise to the top. Of course, there's... There's people who are like, God, this guy should be should be everywhere right now. He should have his own sitcom. Why isn't he more popular? Of course, there's a lot of reason for it, but I think uh, there's there's a lot of it where they have a nice built-in audience. Like I always think about Godfrey. Now, uh, is, is there a Godfrey connection with you? Oh yeah, I work with him at the comedy cellar. I know him pretty well. Okay, yeah, because uh, there, there was a rumor that he, he was the he was one of the first to really discover how talented you were. I, somebody told me they say if you're talking to Joe Mackey, ask him about Godfrey. Oh, um, I didn't I didn't know that. I know he was a uh, he was always he always treated me well uh, and always uh, I mean he treats a lot of young, young comics well. So maybe I didn't give it the uh, the credence that I should have because uh, I just thought. Oh, this guy's nice to young comics. Because uh, a lot of people, uh, especially, I mean, Godfrey's, some of the comics in New York when I started were were bitter because they missed the sitcom run and they never graduated to that next level. But Godfrey always was trying new stuff and he never uh, seemed to see new comics as uh, people were trying to take what he had. So uh, I, that, that, that's my impression of him. Uh, but uh, he was one of the guys I wanted to watch because he was always, there was always something new. Uh, where some people, you felt like you could have seen this act in 1996. He was, I've seen God, and that's why Godfrey, I bring him up because he's, he's one of those guys that you think that he should be on Saturday Night Live. He may have pissed off the wrong people, who knows, but he he's somebody that, I like I feel bad for, but I shouldn't because he he'll still sell out everywhere. And there are times I've seen him do a weekend of five shows and do five different shows. I mean, dip five different hours. He has so much material that he can go through. And, um, you know, not every not everybody can do that. He's a one of a kind type of guy. And, you know, were you like when you when you got passed at the cellar and, you know, you became friends with people like Godfrey and Sam Morell and a lot of them. Was that just one of those where that was a, just a badge of honor? Because you mentioned talking about the bar shows and everything, that the importance that you can still do those or the alt rooms. And uh, but like when you got passed at the cellar, was that just one of those things where you got you went home and just like 
wow, this actually happened. I'm passed at the comedy cellar. This is amazing. You know, it was one of those things that I worked there a while, but I never, I never like to hold it against bookers for not booking me. As an objective, it's not personal. It's a tough job. I ran a with Sam Morell, who drove me crazy because it was like people would take it personally that I didn't book them, and I had 50 great comedians that I wanted to book, you know, on a list that I hadn't gotten to yet. Uh, so it, it's it's really not personal. Uh, the the interesting thing about to me about working at the cellar was I passed for 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 that club after I was already a finalist on Last Comic Standing which way more people knew about mm -hmm. and, and uh, to me it seemed harder to work at the comedy center than it did to be a finalist on a uh, network uh, reality competition uh, which, which is interesting sometimes the success you have in comedy isn't the thing people recognize uh, 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 now it's 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 interesting to me because a lot of lines that talking about god god's always been doing it for for you know a couple of decades he's got so much material and he's got such a developed voice but now i feel like a lot of a lot of netflix a lot of comedy central a lot of hbo they're looking for young hip people mm -hmm. that maybe those people have 10 or 15 minutes but they don't uh, the point i'm trying to make like there's a lot of the problem in comedy isn't it's ageism. It's a, uh, it's a. Uh, a lot of the best comics are fifty plus, and uh, the ones that that they put on late night are, you know, twenty six with five minutes of material, uh, and it. Uh, I don't think it hurts good comics because, like you said, the cream will rise to the top, but it does give, you know, the casual fan. Uh, an impression of comedy as not being good uh, when when there's a lot of good comedy to be had. It's like it's like judging alternative music by uh, I don't know like I don't know what bands you play. Like say there was Pearl Jam and then there was all these copycats, mm -hmm. and uh, it's like people judge off the copycats after a while, and and they don't think it's it's good. Well, and then and I think a lot of the audience figures it out, too. I think I've heard a number of club owners that book these YouTube and TikTok stars, and they sell out for a full weekend and realize they don't have a lot of material. And then they don't get booked again. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is you replace that with another comic, a road dog, who's been doing it. Like, that's why Dave Attell, no matter what he's been able to do over, over the years, and no matter if he's doing a show, whether he's doing bumping mics or he's on Insomniac or anything— He's still going to be a guy that you know is going to have a dedicated fan base when he goes to a show because people know he's a time-tested comedian. And that's where you come in, and you're this next generation. Like you said, that a lot of those comics, the the New York comics of the 2000s, they missed out on those development deals that uh, uh, you start mm -hmm. seeing the Brett Butlers of the world and— even Nick DiPaolo, I think, had a development deal, and uh, some others, Jim Brewer, Dave Chappelle of the early 90s. And that's just because that's how the, the taste changed, the sitcoms changed, and the 
the the material of the sitcom and uh, what was behind it kind of changed over time. But you know, and then then it became you wanted to get on Showtime and HBO mm-hmm. and Comedy Central. And then you wanted a Netflix special or Amazon special and. You know, I, who knows what it's going to be in the next five years, but you're somebody that you you tour and you go out on the road and uh, and then when you're not on the road, you're doing spots in the city. And it's just you're you're somebody that you're prepared for what, whatever the next phase of comedy is nowadays, <laughs> whatever the next thing in order to reach that uh, mass audience. And uh, and your material is fantastic and your delivery is great. I can't wait to see you this weekend, Joe. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make you know, in a synopsis of it is uh, sometimes comedy on TV or, or streaming services seems cast, but the one thing you can't do is uh, is earn is earn laughs like that. They they, they got to be earned, and uh, you know whether you're a YouTube star. Or, some of those YouTube stars have been funny, like Bo Burnham is. Mm-hmm. Legit, but I I would hate to be an audience member at a lot of those that weren't a fan of their YouTube stuff and and thought that they were going to go see a comedy show. It's interesting. A lot of that has to do with the, this comedy clubs or venues you can book the built in where everything's built in. So these YouTube stars they're not really stand ups. They're making these funny videos or, or whatnot. And then because comedy clubs are this, they exist in a lot of cities. They're they have bookers. They have uh, email list. It's a. It makes sense if you want to work somewhere uh, that that this is a, a venue that exists already. But it's not really stand up. Uh, but <laughs> it might confuse people that are looking for stand up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Um, yeah, it's. It's definitely interesting how the comedy clubs have kind of. Uh, uh, they'll book these, or or the other one is they'll they'll book these former actors who can't find work, so they decide to get into comedy. That's the that's the other one, the Jeremy Pivens of the world, where they're like, eh, somebody told me I was funny on my sitcom, so I'm going to start doing stand up. And I got to say, some of them do a decent job, others eh, not so much. But again, a club owner is going to book them. They sell out a weekend. The club makes money. Mm-hmm. The, they work on a door deal or whatever the case is. And and if it if they get the response they get is ah he really wasn't that funny. I liked him better on Entourage or whatever. Then they're like okay. Then we just won't book them again. Yeah, and I, I'm not speaking of specifically, but I do worry about that because I know that some people who are celebrities in other arenas have tried stand up. And they tried it with with writers. Now I'm not speaking of Jeremy Piven specifically because I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't know what what he does, but uh, I worry that people people think it's easy if some celebrity goes up there with writers and does well, uh, but the audience doesn't know that all that material was was written by stand-up pros, and uh, it kind of it kind of changes the game a little bit. It, Brings it back to what stand-up used to be, where it wasn't personal and honest, because uh, there's no wrong way to do it or no right way to do it. But I, I prefer when, when comics are saying what they think is funny, but uh, not what a, a team said was funny. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you know, you you are you are one of those guys that is a uh, is like I said a fixture fixture in the scene in New York and everything and. Uh, you know, one of these times, whenever I go back to New York, I, it's been a, I think the last time I was there was 2019, it was December 2019 before everything started shutting down. And I didn't get a chance to meet you. I met Sam 
uh, over what, what is that the the olive tree? Is that what the restaurant is above the cellar? Yep, the olive tree. Yep. Yeah, I was uh, I was there and I got a chance to meet a couple of comics there and uh, but uh, yeah, one of these times now I'm gonna have to head back there to New York now that things are again hopefully back to normal. I mean, there's still there's still uh, heroin being shot up in the streets in New York, but uh, you know, <laughs> just I guess we'll step over that when I head over to over to McDougal Street. It's not as bad as it was, uh, you know, at, at peak pandemic, but. Uh... It's not as good as it was, but hopefully we're heading in the right direction. So, yeah, definitely come by. Well, Joe, yeah, uh, it's great talking to you, and I look forward to uh, seeing you this weekend at the Funny Stop. And, uh, yeah, no, uh, I look forward to meeting you. I think uh, you'll, you know, the crowd will love you, and uh, a lot of people are really into People want to laugh again. They want to hear jokes. They want to hear funny observational humor. You have all that in your material. And, it was uh, again, it was was great talking to you today. You, You too. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.